chapter 1. We started a study in Ruth last week. What an amazing book it is. What an amazing book it will be. Ruth, they think, was written by Samuel, although there's some other evidence to suggest he may have not have written this, so we're not positive. Uh, if it was written or it is recorded a story about a family uh, during the time of Judges. We just finished the book of Judges, and this story of Ruth is about a family that was in the book of Judges. Now listen, it's kind of interesting that God gives us the whole story of Judges, where the nation of Israel continued to go into apostasy, walk away from God's word, and then they would cry out to God when the enemy would come and attack them, a more evil nation than they were, and God would raise up a deliverer and rescue them. So we have the Judges. And then what does God do? He moves straight in and the canonized scriptures to a family who was inside the time that we were looking at. To a family who, who, who went away from Bethlehem and went down to Moab, which was a nation they were not supposed to have relations with, really. And it was a nation that was one of their enemies, uh, that was a nation created or born out of an incestuous relationship with Lot when God destroyed uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But the interesting thing is, is that as you see this, you have nation, apostasy, 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 return to God. And now we get a picture of a family that walked away from God. And we get to see the grace of God that brings Naomi and her daughter-in-law back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, back to God. So listen, you can walk away from God, but his grace can bring you back. So all you have to do is repent and return. Come back to God. Go the other way. And that's what they do when they see the hand of God dealing with them. Last week we see where Naomi lost her husband. Then her two sons get married and she loses her sons. And we talked about the fact that you can look at this in a sense that the leader, the spiritual leader of the family, dad, his name was Elimelech. Elimelech means my God is king. And yet he walked away from his God and went down to Moab where they worshiped the God Chemosh or C-H-E-M-O-S-H, which, which you, in order to worship him, you had to kill your children. You sacrificed your children to him. That's how you worship this false God. So it's interesting that, again, the whole nation, and then God gives us a, a, a smaller picture of a, of a family that was involved in the, the times of judges, involved in the apostasy. The leadership of the family walked away from God. It ended up costing him his life, then both of his kids' life. Remember them? Malon and Chilion. Malon and Chilion meant uh, uh, puny and unhealthy. So the leader of the family, my God is king, takes puny and unhealthy, and his wife Naomi, which her name meant pleasant, and they go down to a foreign land, and there, while they're there for about 10 years maybe, um, the husband, the leader, dies. Now I believe personally, if you look at the story, that the entire time God is saying, come home, return to me. 
You don't have to be here because that's what he's doing during the days of judges. God never stops trying to get his people to return to him when you're walked away from God, when you're backslidden state. Now, some people haven't frontslidden yet, but when you've backslidden, God is always with his love beckoning you to come home, to return to him, to come back to your first love. And, and, and when we continue to ignore his hand in our life, listen to me. Because you might not think that it's his hand trying to get them to return. But as he speaks to them, dad doesn't come back. And he dies in Moab. Then the sons who become the head of the family, I believe they don't listen. They're in apostasy. They've walked away from God. And God's saying, return to me. And then they die. And then both of the daughter-in-laws are going to come back with Naomi to Bethlehem because she decides after they both die, she's going back to Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Remember, we looked at this because it's Bethlehem of Judea, which means house of bread and praise. Judea means praise. And, and this is this thread, this, this, this thread that goes through the Bible. The book of Ruth ties David all the way back to Adam. And then it ties David all the way forward to Bethlehem of Judea where Jesus Christ is born. And it's this thread that goes all the way through the Bible that ties their genealogies together. Without the book of Ruth, you couldn't tie David's family all the way through the Bible from Adam to Jesus. It takes this to be here. This little book, four chapters, is here. And the other interesting thing is, is it introduces the thought of kinsman redeemer. And Jesus Christ is your and my kinsman redeemer if we believe it and he's the son of God. Listen, John 1, 11 and 12. He came to his own. He came to the nation of Israel and they did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. Listen, he's our relative. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's the only one that is sinless and can redeem his relatives from their curse. He can buy us back from our punishment of death. And he becomes the kinsman redeemer when you believe in his name. And therefore, he is allowed to, under the law, buy us back. Kinsman redeemer speaks of what we call leveret marriage. Do you remember that from the Old Testament? It's when a brother would die and he had no male child to further his lineage and to accept his inheritance. And the other brother would have to go and sleep with his wife and the first male child would become the dead son's child. And then he would receive the inheritance so that the inheritance could be spread throughout the family the way that God had laid it out to be. Listen, Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. It's so amazing. And we're going to see, I think the book probably should have been called Boaz instead of Ruth. Boaz is the one that's the kinsman redeemer. Boaz is the one that does all the work. Boaz is the one that is the type of Christ. But notice, just like God... All of the attention goes on the bride of Christ, the bride of Boaz. 
And right now, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing with you and I. He's adorning us as a bride to be with Christ. And so with that, we want to look at where we're at in this text is um, 1.14. Now remember, Naomi is on her way back. I don't know how far she's gotten. And the two daughter-in-laws, um, whose names are Orpah and Ruth. Ruth means friendship. Orpah means mane. Mane, or it can mean the back of the neck as declining. It's from a word that means as declining, or it's figuratively for backsliding or stiff neck. Notice what she does, though. We're going to see she turns and goes back. And so in verse 14, after Naomi had said, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Let me just comment on that again to bring us up to speed. We know the end of the story. Are you with me here? We know that she's going to come back to Bethlehem, to the house of bread, that Ruth is going to marry Boaz, and the whole family is going to be redeemed. As a widow, she would be poor and in the streets and have nobody to take care of her. There's no adult male alive in her family, so she would have nothing, absolutely nothing. Without redemption, you have nothing. Listen to me. Without Christ, you have nothing. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man or if a child abides in me, he can bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, she was nothing apart from the redemption of Boaz. And she doesn't understand at this time, even though it looks like God has afflicted her, God is trying to get her to return. And you might be looking in your life and going, oh, there's pain. Oh, there's affliction. Oh, why is this happening, God? Well, he's trying to get you to turn your heart back to him. See, God uses these things. God uses these life lessons. You're, you're, you're taught somewhere in the, world, in the Bible today, you think that everything that God does is going to be a good thing that's so pretty and clean, and you're never going to be without pain. That's some health wealth and and, and and false gospel that's out there listen it rains and shines on the just and the unjust the problem is is that his people as they go through this are supposed to remain in his hands they're supposed to continue to tell people about Jesus even though they're going through the same things the rest of the world's going through what does the problem become we get our eyes back on self that's what the devil wants us to do he wants you to get your eyes back on yourself. He wants you to say, oh, woe is me. He wants you to, to do nothing for Jesus, and he deceives you. He spoils you. You begin to live just like the world, and you don't understand that the hand of God is trying to get you to turn back and trust him. And since you and I know the end of the story, we know that God was bringing Naomi back for redemption the same thing he's doing in your life in my life even when things go bad he's trying to get us to turn and trust him for redemption 
to bring us into a good and plentiful land, to bring us into a heavenly hope, to bring us into a good relationship with him. So whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, you don't turn from Christ. And whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, you don't blame it on God because every good and perfect gift comes down from God, the Father of lights. He's trying to take care of you, and it's our sin, it's our actions, it's our decisions that get us in the wrong place, not God's. God has brought us to a good place. He had brought these people to a great place, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he told them to go in and conquer the land. And what did they do? They went in and sat down and they got fat on the land and they ignored God. So what did God do? He said, oh, I love you with a never-ending love. So I will raise up some enemies to attack you. So you will get into a place where you don't know what to do. And you'll remember that I am God and you'll cry out to me. And then I will come and rescue you again. I will deliver you. I will bring a savior to you. And you will be able to again hear my voice and follow me. What's the problem? We continue to go away from God. We See, the worst thing for the child of God is to have too much. What? And that's exactly what the devil does. Is he makes us with this dangling carrot think that if I just made $1,000 more, I would be better. No, if you made $1,000 more, you would forget God. Listen to me. Most people on the planet in America today make about 40% more than what they made 10 years ago. 40% of statistics are all made up too. So, And I just made them up right there. Listen to me. We make more than we did 10 years ago, and we're still in the same place or a worse place. It's because we don't have more Jesus. We always get more money, and then we have more of our self-life, and that's what the devil uses to spoil us and cheat us and deceive us when our eyes and our heart needs to be fixed on Jesus, not on the things of this world. More spoils us. More deceives us, and we're not dependent upon God. What does Proverbs say? about this situation not in my notes trying to find it quickly Proverbs 30 thank you verse um, 8 and 9 I, I had it already marked but I just it's only because uh, it's tomorrow's proverb two things I request of you deprive me not before I die remove falsehood and lies far from me. Why? Because the devil fights with lies. It's the vain, empty deceit. It's the delusion. Feed me with food allotted to me. Excuse me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. See that? Don't want to be in poverty. Don't be with riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, my daily bread, lest I be full and deny you maybe more importantly, forget you because I'm comfortable and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. Listen to me. You just want your daily bread. You want to be content where you're at 
yet always be on the grow. You always want to grow, but you want to learn that a life of faith is a life that is dependent upon God. A life of prayer is a life that is dependent upon God. And if you get too much, it's the same thing that happens to Sodom and Gomorrah. I think it's Ezekiel 15 or something like that. I could be wrong. I'm not going to find it for you. I just want to tell you the story. Sodom and Gomorrah, their cupboards were full. And they turned to strange sects and they walked away from God. And God destroyed them. It wasn't because they were hungry and poor. It was because they had everything and they needed nothing. It's the same thing that God says about his church in Revelation chapter 3. You say you are, 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 are rich and wealthy and, and you have need of nothing, but I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. He's talking to the church where we get really a lot of stuff on the table. And we think, I'm okay. I said a prayer. I know God. No, it's a moment-to-moment, day-to-day, daily walk where you do not want the devil to spoil you. And you put the self-life in the grave and remember that you've been bought and paid for with the precious blood of Jesus and your life is not your own and your life is to be used as a witness to that same God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But the devil, he lies to us and he makes us think that if I just get to the next vacation, if I just get the new job, if I just had another hundred dollars, listen, if you would just quit listening to lies of the flesh and the basic principles of this life, you would stop being cheated out of your joy and your walk with God. So, again, I was trying to let you know that in verse 13 of chapter 1 of Ruth, when she says, no, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, that the Lord was for her, trying to bring her back. She had poor leadership, and her husband took her to a place where she shouldn't have been. And God was bringing her back to a good place, to the house of bread, the same place that Jesus would be born Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Do you see that? Because Orpah kissed her goodbye. Orpah said, no, we'll go. They both said, we'll go with you. A very shallow commitment Orpah had. Remember, Orpah means stiff-necked or backsliding. Orpah comes from a word that means that, I should say. But it means the mane. It's the back of the neck where a horse's hair would be. Orpah was quick to go on and follow the counsel of Naomi. And Naomi's counsel, I believe, was wrong in this situation. Why do I think that? Look, Ruth clung to her. Ruth had watched this godly lady when she come to Moab 
with her husband and then go through the death of her whole family and still had watched the character of this lady. She knew who God was. You're going to see that she still has a relationship with God. She believes that God has dealt with her wrongly, but she knows it's the hand of God. Listen, it's very important that you understand the hand of God and the hand of the devil. That you understand that it's God who is sovereign. And if it's going on in your life, it's to get you to turn to God and be a witness for God. And if you know God, it's not to destroy you. It's to give you a hope and a future. So you don't have to act like you're bitter. You don't have to act like God is against you if you are building your relationship with him. But if you are walking away from him and living in sin, then you should understand that he's trying to get you to turn back and enjoy a life and a love relationship with him. And the chastisement of the Lord only comes to those he loves. God only disciplines his children. He's going to judge the devil's children. He disciplines his children not to destroy them, but to correct them and bring them back into a right relationship with his truth. They lifted up their voices. They wept because it's emotional. And Orpah kissed the mother-in-law, Naomi, goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. And as she clung to her, didn't want to leave. That's what she was doing. They were tied together as one. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. That's exactly why I say that Naomi's counsel was bad. See, a lot of times if you have somebody who's bitter, going through bitterness because of how they are misunderstanding and misinterpreting the life, they'll give you bad counsel. Listen. As the people of God, we're supposed to be turning people to God. They're supposed to be a witness for God. You and I are a witness for Christ because we know who the Messiah is. And she's telling them both to go back to their false gods. Isn't that bad counsel? It's horrible counsel. It's what the church is doing today. Much of the church telling people to go to these programs, telling people to go to places that are under the, the sway of the wicked one. We're sending people to the traditions, to the basic principles, to the transmission of men instead of to the cross of Christ. And we're letting them be cheated and spoiled as if we don't have the answers. So she's bitter of heart, but guess what? She's going to get better. She's going to get better. And that's the two things you can do. If you're bitter of heart, you're either going to get bitter or better. You're going to get worse, and your heart's going to harden, and you're going to give bad counsel to everybody you meet, and you're going to defile many, or you will get better as you come <clears throat> closer and receive the redemption of God. She's returning to God. She's bitter, but she's returning to God, and then God takes the bitterness away with redemption through Boaz. The kinsman redeemer. But Ruth said, verse 16. Remember I told you that it was Chemosh, the false god that she's trying to get them to go back. It's a false god that required child sacrifice. All you have to do is look in your world today. 
That's the same God's Planned Parenthood. Everything that kills babies and everything that agrees with killing babies today is serving the same spirit, the same God. And we send people to the world for help when we have the, the Messiah, the provision of God for sin, the sin nature. And we send people from the church to go to the world that would pay for places like that to exist. It's sad. We don't have anything but God here. You better go to a worldly counselor and get your counsel. It's sad. But Ruth said, listen, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Are you kidding me? That's the type of commitment we need with Christ today. That's the type of commitment she made with a mother-in-law. We make jokes about our mother-in-law. But she made a commitment like this because she's seen the godly character of a woman whose name means pleasant. She's seen that godly character of Naomi. But look at the character of Ruth. God uses her character and her commitment to bring Naomi out of bitterness. And it's even in this a foretaste of Gentiles coming to salvation. You and I coming to salvation. The Moabites, let's look at it. Actually, I think it's Deuteronomy 23. The Moabites were not even allowed to come into the house of God. And yet the grace of God allows Ruth, whose name means friend. That's real friendship, isn't it? She clings to her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law already told her, there's no child in my womb. If I had a child today, you'd have to wait for how many years in order to marry my son. She has no future of a husband, yet she sees the character. Listen, you and I, we have to understand, our husbandman is Christ. We are not to be married to this world. We're not to go back to the father of lies, because Christ, our husbandman, is bringing us to a new father. And that is the entire purpose of Christ's coming is to bring us to the Father. To give us a new hope, a new future, a new family. We're children of God. And he's our Father. He's a loving Father who feeds. He created the birds of the air. He feeds them, but he's our Father. How much more will he take care of us? Where did I say Deuteronomy 23? Look at 23.3. An Ammonite or a Moabite. Listen, that's the two children that were born out of an incestuous relationship with Lot, with his daughters. The Ammonites and the Moabites. Ammon. Ammon. That's where the Agites come from. And the Ammonites. And the uh, um, Amorites, I believe, even shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation, 
None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Now, why? Because they did not meet. Listen, it's not because they come out of the relationship with Lot. Because they did not meet you with bread and water, the two, the two, the two necessities needed to, to, to show hospitality, bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pithor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Because the Lord your God loves you, you shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. How much is forever? They were never supposed to seek the peace or prosperity of the tribe of Moab. And yet here's Elimelech who says, my God is king, taking his entire family down there because there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. Listen, there's a family, there's a famine in the house of bread today, and it's for the word of God. It's for the teaching of the word of God. It's from the proper usage of the word of God. We're, we're taking the word of God, and we think that because bad happens in our life, that, it, that it's just that God's mad at us, and we get bitter at God instead of understanding that God's trying to get our attention. I think almost every funeral I do, I tell the people at the funeral, one, that the funeral's not for the person. The funeral's for the living. The dead's fate is already decided. The funeral is to deal with your emotions and my emotions. I'm trying to think of the second thing I tell him. <laughs> I'm getting old. Um, I forgot what I was talking about and I started telling you the first thing which was interrupting my thought funerals well maybe you'll get it when uh, we come back around to oh funerals are a bullhorn with God speaking to you that's what I was going to tell you I tell families all the time, God is speaking to you loudly. The funeral's for you, for you to hear from God. Because the person who has died or went to be with the Lord can no longer hear from him and change their actions. So funerals are a bullhorn. When pain happens in your life, it's God speaking to you. What's he saying? I don't know. Talk to him and ask him. It's your life. It's your salvation. You're the one that's supposed to ask him. You're supposed to have this personal relationship and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? But he's not trying to destroy you if you're a child of God, eating at the table of God, because he's already promised you he's going to get you to the other side. So he's trying to correct you or chastise you or teach you a lesson or let you go through something just as Job went through so that everybody would see that on the end of it, God's going to prosper them beyond your wildest imagination. Now, it might be in heaven when you get all of your inheritance, but this right here is not the end of it all. So when things happen, you have to say, well, why is that going on? Remember my story that I share? I don't know where I got it with because we always think that things are just bad. Do you remember when 
the farmer's horse ran away. And all the townspeople said, oh, this is a bad thing, this is a bad thing. And the farmer said, well, maybe, maybe not. And the next day, that horse came home and brought a whole pack of wild stallions with it. And all the townspeople said, oh, this is a good thing, this is a good thing. And the farmer said, well, maybe, maybe not. So the next day, his son goes out to try to break some of the stallions, falls and breaks his leg off of one of the horses. All the townspeople say, oh, this is a bad thing. This is a bad thing. And the farmer says, maybe, maybe not. The next week, the army has a draft and calls all their sons off to war. His son's got a broken leg, so he don't have to go. All the townspeople say, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. He says, well, maybe, maybe not. Listen, you want to talk to God about it. You want to see the end of the matter. And we're running a race where we want to get to the end of the race, which is the finish line, which is the gates of heaven, which is into the kingdom to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He's the one that promised he's called you and he will do it. So you want to look to him. He's not trying to take you out of the race. He's trying to get you in the race. He's not trying to put you in hell. He came to save you from hell. He's trying to give you a hope and a future. He gave you an inheritance. You're joint heirs with Christ. He's not trying to take it from you. It's the devil who's cheating us. It's the devil who's spoiling us. It's the devil who's trying to get us out of the race. God's just trying to call us home. And we keep running off. So, I believe this is a picture of what true conversion should look like. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Listen, when you come and you return to God and you come to, to a life with God in salvation and deliverance, you want to follow after him. You want to be in the way with him. You don't want to turn or leave from him. And you want to know if you happen to go down the wrong path and you turn from him following some lie of the world and a basic principle, you want to know quickly. And the best way to know quickly is to have a relationship, not just with Jesus, but with his written word. And you look in the mirror and it says, oh, you're going the wrong direction. This is the perfect law of liberty. And when you have a relationship with God, he's not going to let you get down the road very far without spanking your butt and bringing you home. Or sounding the alarm and letting you know you're following the wrong place and bringing you home. He's going to get truth to you if you continue coming to him. But it's when you think, ah, it's all right, God, I got this one. This is just a little one, God. I can do this. And you step out on your own apart from Christ. It's when you can do nothing except get lost like sheep do behind the barn and you think you're okay. So you want a new direction. That's what coming back to God is. When you're going away from God, when you're in apostasy, when you're asleep, when you're not living for God, you need a new direction. So you don't want to lead. You want to keep following after. For wherever you go, I will go, she said. That's following. Listen. Where's God leading you? He told you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Where's he leading you at? 
Are you following him? I know most of us do this. Come on, God. Hurry up. Let's go. Let's go, God. And we're way out in front of him instead of being still and waiting on him. And then going where he's going. Where's he going? To your neighbor. Where's he going? To the person that works with you. Where's he going? To the person eating next to you at the McDonald's. Where's he going? To the person getting gas at the gas station. That's where he wants to go. To those who are stumbling for the slaughter. Are you following him? And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Listen, a new home. She made a commitment to follow a new direction, a new home. Wherever you lodge, Naomi, I want to lodge. That's what she's making a commitment to. Are you wanting to be in God's home or do you just want to keep from going to hell? Listen, there, there's a home we become children of God, eating at the table of God, enjoying the inheritance of God because of his will. He wrote a will. Remember, we talked about this on Sunday. He wrote a will out. This is my last will and testament. And in order for you to get the inheritance, somebody had to die. Christ, his child, came and died, and he gives you the inheritance. And now you get to eat at his table and enjoy all the riches of heaven. Look, your people shall be my people. That's a new family. A new family. And see, that's another thing that's going on in the body of Christ. I was talking with Neil about it today. Listen, we are all in the body of Christ supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be the same body working together for the same purpose with the mind of Christ to see others saved. And yet we go out and, and we could care less whether... We came to church on Sunday or got the Bible study the next time. As long as we get to watch Jeopardy. As long as we get our favorite TV show. We don't care about the teaching of the word of God. And so it's the arm not caring about the leg. It's the mouth not caring about the foot. It's the nose caring less about what's going on with the rest of the body. And yet we come together at Bible study and on Sundays in order to bless one another and equip one another and encourage one another so that we can be like-minded and all involved in the salvation of souls. But we have the devil who has deceived us and the body of Christ, which is supposed to be a whole body with Christ as the head, has become scattered throughout all the city, throughout all the country, and we go, I'm the body of Christ. Well, then why aren't you someplace in a body doing your part in service for the kingdom of God? If you're the body of Christ, you can't be a lone ranger out there by yourself. Because the body takes all the parts. If you're the body of Christ, you can't be doing just what you want to do. If you're doing what you want to do, then you're not doing what God wants to do. Because God made us all dependent upon one another. In love, in, in carrying one another's burdens, in taking care of one another, in feeding one another, in helping one another. That's why he didn't give you all the gifts, but he gave one to me or two to me and one to you and two to you. And he puts all those pieces together and we make a perfect representation of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to a dead and dying world. That's why he said, you will know us by our love for one another. And so if the devil can separate us and nobody ever sees us loving one another... Nobody knows there's a church. Nobody knows there's a Christ. Nobody sees the salvation of God. Nobody gets delivered. It's all culturanity, and it becomes a fake thing that's man's religion, and we've been cheated out of the Messiah's resurrection and power of his blood.
Sorry, that was a lot. What does she say there at 16, the very last of 16? Because this is the most important thing. And your God, my God. Listen, she's been serving false gods in a pagan land. And she's come to know the true living God because of the witness of this Naomi woman who was following a bad leadership to get down to this ugly world. And she comes to the true God. And, and, and guess what? It's so important because when Naomi is feeling bitter, when Naomi is feeling down, it's the young girl, her daughter-in-law, who knows God that builds her back up. She's there saying, whoa, whoa, you're feeling bad. But listen, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to cling to you. And, and don't make me leave you. Where you go, I want to go. Where you live, I want to live. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Can you imagine how much that encouraged Naomi at that moment? That was encouraging to her. And your God, my God. Because Naomi hasn't forgotten about God. She just thinks God's punishing her. And listen to me. God's not punishing you. God's not punishing you. And God wasn't punishing her. God was trying to bring her back. Listen, God already knew he was putting all the punishment for our waywardness on Christ. And you and I know now that he put all the punishment of our sin upon Christ. And it would be wrong of God and unjust of God to punish you for your sin when he's already punished his son for all of your sin. He's wanting to bring you back. Do you understand that he loves you? That he's already given you his most prized possession. How will he not give you everything else for life and godliness? But we continue to run away and do it our own way. Where you die, I will die. Look at this commitment. And there will I be buried. That's commitment. I'm going to be buried where you're buried at, Naomi. The Lord do so to me and more also. She pronounces a curse upon herself, really. If anything but death parts you from me. She is committed to this woman because of her character. Because she watched her go through the pain and suffering. And now Naomi's going home. Mm. It is so important of how we go through life's problems to look to Jesus. Because people are watching us. Where do you turn in heartache? Where do you turn in death? Christ has already told us we can turn to him for everything. Where do you turn at when you hit the wrong nail with the hammer? When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. I ain't talking to you no more. Put shut up on my mouth. But that doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that she became uh, mean to Ruth and didn't talk to her no more. It means she stopped talking to her about going back to Moab. It means she said, okay, subject closed. I see your commitment. There's no reason for me to try to convince you to go back. You're clinging to me, and I see your commitment is you're, you're determined to go, so let's go. Now, the two of them are going. Where are they going? To the house of bread. Oh, listen to me. Jesus sent us out in twos. It's very important that you would not go places without somebody helping you. You need to have a witness with you. 
Now these two are going to return to the house of bread. See, that's what I'm telling you is that this devil likes to isolate us and then decimate us. He does his best work of spoiling and deceiving us when we are not in fellowship with somebody else or with other believers. So he gets us to isolate. And listen, here, I want to tell you another one. Listen, if the only person you're listening to is your spouse, you're in trouble also. I'm not telling you, my wife gives me some of my best counsel, but I don't just listen to my wife because me and her want the same things in life because we're one vessel. You need other counselors. If all you listen to is the same person all the time even, you could get in trouble because you become like-minded and now you're both pursuing the same things. You need other counselors. In the multitude of counsel, wage your war, the Bible says. So you want to get other counsel, and you want to make sure you're getting the right counsel, because the devil's out there to do what? He lives. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He lives to rob, kill, and destroy you, because he hates you, because you're Christ's child, because you're the son of God and the daughters of God, because you represent light. He hates you, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. The two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. It's about seven to ten day trip from Moab. Remember, it's modern day Jordan. They had to go up to the north a little, go around the Dead Sea and back to life. Remember, when Elimelech took them down to, to Moab, they had to go around the Dead Sea to death. And now they're going back up to Bethlehem, the house of bread, and that's where you get life. You leave death when you come to Bethlehem. You come to life because Jesus, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And when you come to the bread of life, you leave death. You don't have a covenant with death anymore if you know Jesus. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Why is all of Bethlehem happy? Don't that remind you of anything? When a lost sheep is found, when someone comes to salvation, the angels in heaven rejoice. Don't it remind you of any scriptures? Think about it. For some reason, the whole city's happy because Naomi comes. It's a foretaste of people coming to salvation and the angels rejoicing. There's people that are happy when you come home. I'm always dealing with people. They go, oh, yeah, I haven't been in church for a while. I'm like, well, just come on back. No, people are probably talking about me. People ain't talking about you. They're waiting to rejoice when you come home. When you come back into fellowship, they want to rejoice that a lost sheep has been found, that somebody's not being deceived anymore, and that they want to hear the word of God. But then they said, is this Naomi? You know what bitterness does? You know what bitterness does to your countenance? You know what bitterness does to your heart? You know what bitterness does to your character? It makes you look like a different person. They don't even recognize her. Because remember, when she left, she was pleasant. And now she's got a scowl on her face. Now she's got the hot Moab desert on her face. Now she's got the death of her three men in her life on her face. And now she's got the thought that God is mad at her on her face. And so she's not bringing glad tidings and good news. 
she comes back and doesn't even look like pleasant Naomi that they knew because she's bitter and the heart knows its own bitterness and no one can share in its joy listen but she said to them do not call me Naomi don't call me pleasant call me Mara call me bitter for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me listen again hard times death you can either get bitter or you can get better I know you've heard that if you've been in the church I, I didn't coin that phrase if you look to yourself and you have a pity party and you don't look to the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus and understand that he's for you and not against you you'll get bitter but if you look to Jesus and you understand that he's got a plan and he's trying to bring you into a relationship, he's trying to bring you into maturity, he's trying to bring you into a hope and a future, you'll get better. If you continue to sow into somebody else's life and be concerned about them, you'll get better. See, that's part of it too. She was concerned with Ruth. She was genuinely concerned with Ruth and, and uh, Orpah. She was concerned about their lives. She said, I can't provide for you. She knew that she was going to go to a place where she had nothing. Maybe she concluded that their false gods were better than nothing if her God was treating her bitterly. Just because you're being chastised by God or things ain't going right doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. But the devil wants you to have that perspective. Remember with Job? Everything that happened with Job, but what happened? They kept saying that uh, 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 God was doing it. And it's, it's Satan's greatest tool is to convince you that it's God doing it to you instead of the devil. It's the devil that come to rob, kill, and destroy you. It's the devil, not God. God didn't do it. We know that from the story that, that God gave the devil permission, but it was the devil that did it. Look what she says. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Notice again, she believes fully in the Lord. She understands that the Lord does chastise and afflict. She understands that God is in full control. So she hasn't walked completely away from God. She understands that it's all in his hand. It's not that she is in an apostate place like her husband was. She's coming back knowing that it was God that dealt with her family and in his dealing with her family and the chastisement and the bitter treatment, she lost her husband and two kids. So she thinks it's going to continue. She doesn't understand that by her very return, God redeems her and blesses her and is going to take care of her. And all you have to do is one step away. To turn back and say Lord forgive me Lord I've been bitter Lord I've been blaming others Lord I didn't understand you were calling me home to you 
but she thinks she went out full. I don't know what this means. I can't tell you I know what it means. I can guess about it. I can wonder about it. I can think about it. Does she mean her family was full? She had a whole family when she went out, four of them. She comes back, she doesn't have a family anymore. They're all dead. Or does she say, I went out full of joy. I went out full of pleasantness. And I come back empty because of the bitterness of God, because of the bitterness of the treatment of God. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Is her heart was full of pleasantness and now she's empty? I do know this. I do know this, the word empty here, the word empty can mean undeservedly. Undeservedly. You can look at that a couple ways. She went out full and she doesn't deserve to come back to God, but the grace of God draws her back. Or you can look at it in her bitter heart. She's saying, I went out full and I come back empty, undeservedly. I lost my whole family. And she doesn't understand that they walked away from God and they left the place of God, the house of bread, and went to a pagan nation. Not sure. But I can tell you that any of it will preach. Any of it will preach. If you was to lose your husband and two children, you would probably feel empty. But God would not leave you. And you could be full of God. Even in that trial, even in that pain, you can have joy in knowing that he loves you with a never-ending love and that he will get you across the finish line, that he will get you through it, that he'll never give you more than you can handle, and that he himself came down as the son and he bore our afflictions and he went through more than we will ever go through to show us that he loves us with a never-ending love. And then he redeemed us by giving his blood as a sacrifice. And so she just says, I'm bitter. So Naomi returned. Notice the Holy Spirit still calls her pleasant. Isn't that cool? God still knows your name. No matter if you're bitter right now and you're a child of God, God still knows who you are. He knows where you're at. He knows the pain of your heart. He doesn't call her so Mara went out doesn't matter how you feel. We're dealing with truth here. Truth is, is that God named her Naomi, and she's pleasant in the Lord. And you know what? That's where he's taking her to. When she sees the redemption, when there's food on the table, when God becomes the husbandman through Boaz and the kinsman redeemer, you're going to see the provision of God, even though there's not a male child in the family yet. And she's going to be pleasant again and see the hope of God. Naomi and Ruth, pleasantness and friendship. The Moabitess, she's not supposed to be there, but she is. Her daughter-in-law with her who returned. Notice what they did. They returned. Have you returned to God? Have you been wayward? Have you returned to him? That's the word repentance. It means to go a different direction. It means you were going in your own selfish way, your own way that you thought was right, and you turned because you heard the voice of God. And you returned from the country you were in, the place you were in. Now they came to the house of bread. Look at that. Isn't that cool? Why is it cool? It was the beginning of the barley harvest. Isn't that cool? When people come to the house of bread, it's the beginning of a harvest. When people come back to God, it's the beginning of harvest. 
And in the country, they had really pleasant weather, except for in the monsoon season, but they would have two different harvests. They had an early harvest and a late harvest. The barley harvest is the early one. The barley harvest um, is in the spring. It was a time of plentifulness when it wasn't raining and it was a new beginning for Naomi and Ruth. It's the same thing it is for you and I when we come home to God, when we come back, when we come to Christ in the first place, the kinsman redeemer. It is a new beginning and we become part of the number that will one day be harvested Amen. It's coming soon. Any moment. He could come back. Are you ready? Or are you bitter? Are you ready? Are you being spoiled? Do you understand that whatever is going on in life is to bring you back to God? And then he takes all that pain and all that suffering, all that heartache, and he uses it as a testimony. He takes what the devil meant for bad, and he uses it for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story down the corridors of time of one family, of, of, of two ladies that returned to you. Lord, I, I'm struck by the fact that we are the bride of Christ. And as we sit here, we're all women that are going to be married to your son. We're betrothed now, which is just as good, but we are coming back. Because we know you're coming back quickly. So, Lord, bring us back to the heart of worship. Bring us back to your word. Bring us back to surrender. Bring us back in everything that happens in our life, good, bad, or indifferent, to the cross, your provision, the blood of Jesus, for such a time as this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing story. Even in apostasy, even in a culture that has forgotten you, that, Lord, we can return by your grace and by your mercy. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.